please stay standing for the reading of God's word. Man is also rebuked with pain on his bed and with continual strife in his bones, so that his life loathes bread and his appetite the choicest food. His flesh is so wasted away that it cannot be seen, and his bones that were not seen stick out. His soul draws near the pit and his life to those who bring death. If there be for him an angel, a mediator, one of the thousand to declare to man what is right for him, and he is merciful to him and says, deliver him from going down into the pit. I have found a ransom. Let his flesh become fresh with youth. Let him return to the days of his youthful vigor. Then man prays to God and he accepts him. He sees his his face with a shout of joy and he restores to man his righteousness. He sings before men and says, I sinned and perverted what was right, and it was paid, and it was not repaid to me. He has redeemed my soul from going down into the pit, and my life shall look upon the light. Behold, God does all these things twice, three times with a man to bring back his soul from the pit, that he may be lighted with the light of life. This is the word of the Lord. If you would have a seat this morning, and let's uh, pray briefly that God would just bless his word in our lives this morning. Dear God, uh, we believe in your word, Lord, that uh, you didn't just speak it and give it to us in the pages of scripture, but that you gave it in the person of Jesus Christ. Lord, during this season of uh, incarnation, celebration, Lord, we ask you that you would help us. Uh, to see the things that you have done, are doing, and will do forevermore, Lord, that you would shine your light upon us. Uh, Lord, we ask you again that you would bless your word, Lord, that we might be encouraged in our hearts. Uh, Lord, we love you, and it's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. Well, the sermon uh, text is actually not the one that was just read. We're going to be in a single verse this morning. So if you want to join me in John chapter 8, verse 12, that's where we're going to be uh, for the majority of our time this morning. And it's a relatively simple uh, verse. It's easy to understand. It's easy to kind of break apart into its parts uh, to actually know something of what God has to say to us this morning. But as you've already kind of heard several times this morning, uh, we're talking about uh, the pit. We're talking about the pit, but then we are also talking about the light of life. Now, here's where all of this stuff comes together for me personally. In Exodus chapter 3, the Lord comes to a man named Moses, who's uh, been cast out of the place where he was uh, there in Egypt. He's gone and uh, really been uh, hiding in some ways, not just from his people, but in some ways from God as well. And God comes to him uh, with a message. He says, hey, I've got a message of emancipation for my people who are still there in Egypt. Go back and tell them that the Lord has spoken and that they are to be free. That's, that's essentially what's happening there. And Moses is unconfident. 
He just lacks a lot of confidence, lacks a lot of courage. There's a lot of uh, stuff to suggest that he wasn't a very good speaker. So for God to choose this man from nowhere that's been cast out to go and uh, take his word to his people and to, uh, at that time, the uh, most powerful man in the world, Pharaoh, and say anything was like, Something that was very fear-inducing, anxiety-riddled for Moses. And so Moses asks a very common-sense question of God. He says, uh, who am I to go and talk with Pharaoh? Who am I to go talk with these people? Who shall I say sent me? And then he asks God, what is your name? And there in the third chapter of Exodus, in in verse 13, it says, I am who I am. That's what the Lord says. He says, I am who I am. Go and tell my people that I am sent me. I am has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Here's something that I see in myself, that I see in a lot of God's people today, a lot of Christians. I see a lot of anxiety. I see a lot of uh, struggling today with uh, confidence and courage. In some ways, uh, I think that each and every one of us has a metaphorical pit that we are in, of one variety or another. We have like, maybe it's just a sadness that's kind of left over in our lives from not quite living up or achieving our hopes and dreams for ourselves or for our family. Maybe it's something uh, for you that it's just, man, I feel these uh, bondage chains from the past that reach all the way from the past into my present and keep me kind of bound up in a pit of darkness. Maybe for you, it's a, a lack of boldness or even in this season, an apathy. You just can't get excited about anything and you just feel like you're in a lull. You feel like you're in a pit and that the light can't quite reach you. Really, regardless of what your brand is there, there uh, I think for all of us might be a chance for us to learn something about the pit and something about life. There, there is for uh, other people, maybe that doesn't necessarily hit you. You're like, no, 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 I've got a lot of confidence. Our, our elder team about... Uh, Five or six months ago, did this kind of assessment. We're not given to do a lot of these things, but we're trying to develop some diction and rhythms and all of these sorts of things for understanding how we might lead and might lead a little bit better. So we sent out these assessments to people that have seen us interacting as friends or as leaders or whatever else. And uh, the, the section on confidence for me came back way too high. Like the confidence was just off the charts. It's like, hey, you're a pretty prideful totally confident person and it's too much it's too much for people that's what it came back that's what our people told me as a person so for me it's not necessarily like a lack of confidence it's having confidence in the wrong thing it's having confidence in myself so I wonder if maybe you don't have anxiety or lack boldness or apathy maybe you have a misplaced confidence in your own strength your own goodness your own money here's what we need to know this morning Before you can have confidence in anything related to yourself, before you can kind of overcome an anxiety or overcome yourself, really regardless of where that comes from, regardless of where your pit is, before you can know who I am, you have to be enlightened to know the great I am. So it's in that vein that I actually want to approach our verse this morning. Read with me in John chapter 8. Verse 12, it's a simple verse, but it is deep and rich. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am 
the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. In this one really simple verse, here's the good news for you if you were in a pit this morning. What you can know is that followers of Jesus have the light of life. Followers of Jesus have the light of life. Maybe you feel like you're in a pit this morning. You, if you are a follower of Jesus, can have the light of life. And we've got to really understand something about this verse. We've got to understand that Jesus is the light. We've got to understand that Jesus lights your path. And finally, we have to understand that this light-filled life is yours to live. That's where we're headed this morning. So we've, we've started this sermon series of God of light. Okay, so you've heard a lot of this kind of kneaded into everything that we're doing. Even the songs that we're singing through this season is going to be talking about this God of light. And last week, where we were was to understand that when God first created everything, there was actually a lot of darkness, complete darkness, and that God issues from his mouth light. He actually takes this darkened world and he speaks light into it. So we go from darkness into light. This week, we understand that the light is actually a person. It is Jesus. Jesus is the light and he lights our way and he gives us the light of life. In Exodus chapter 3, God reveals himself as the great I am. He, he says that I am sent you, right? And so when we get to the New Testament, we actually see these Old Testament verses of God being light actually illuminated in Jesus. And what he does is throughout the book of John, there are actually seven places where Jesus tells us who he is. And he uses the same words that were used way back in Exodus 3 of I am. These are things that are very familiar to you, but maybe you didn't know of the pattern that Jesus was actually speaking about who he is and connecting himself in with the great I am. He says things like, I am the bread of life. He says, I am the light of the world. He says, I am the way and the truth and the light. He says, I am the true vine. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. And here in John chapter 8, verse 12, he gives us a great I am. He says, I am the light of the world. Jesus is claiming to be the light. And the reason why this was very significant is because throughout the Old Testament, when God was talking about who he was and what he was doing, he was always talking about being a God of salvation. He was always talking about being a God of light. And here Jesus is making a huge statement. I am the light of the world. Now, now here's the thing. All of us hear those things and we go, oh, that's very familiar to us. Yes, I know that Jesus is the light. But I want you to think that if you heard a person today talking about themselves as light, how strange that would be. How weird it would be if, if I was running around telling everybody, I am the light. You'd be like, what a strange person. And so we can't really gloss over the pages of scripture where Jesus is claiming to be the light of the world. Because it's a very strange thing for him to be doing. For him to talk about himself in terms of light. And even furthermore, if you had been a Jew in that day, you would have understood all of these Old Testament verses about God being the place where light comes from. And then here's this man, 
this possible prophet, this strange guy that doesn't have a place to rest his head. And here he is, like, walking around telling everybody that he is the light. I am would not have escaped him. But for him to say, I am the light of the world would have been a powerful, majestic, amazing, but also dangerous thing for him to be claiming about himself. So first we have to understand that Jesus is the light. It's not just a weird thing for him to be saying. You have to assent at some level that Jesus is the one that is actually light. He's claiming to be the fulfillment of all of these prophecies, these Old Testament verses about the light of salvation, the light of God, Jesus is claiming are fulfilled in him. Psalm 27 verse 1 says this, the Lord is my light and my salvation, whom shall I fear? So for those of us who like fear is our pit, you're living in the midst of like the fear of man, the fear of not having enough, the fear of uh, being, uh, being isolated, the fear of being alone, the fear of whatever it is that is your fear, we can look at the Old Testament and see that the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? And here Jesus is the one that is claiming that he's the one that's come to do that. We see in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2, the people who walk in darkness have seen a great light. On them has light shone. I want to make a couple of just real quick observations about both of those verses together. And the first one is this, that Jesus' light is involuntary. Like, it, it says that the light has shone on us, okay? So what did you have to do in order for the light to shine on you? What did you have to uh, say? What did you have to pray? What did you have to, like, give over to God? What did you have to sacrifice in order for God's light to shine on you? The answer is nothing. God's people didn't do anything to get the light of God, Jesus Christ, to come to earth. The light is involuntary. You don't have anything to do with it. God just gives it. The second is that this, that Jesus' light saves People who walked in darkness have seen a great light. The Lord is my light and my salvation. There's something together about this light that actually saves us. And, and that makes sense in some way. If you were in a totally dark room and you had been there for forever, decades, can you imagine having just a single beam of light come in, like piercing through this complete darkness and how much you would feel salvation? That just the cracking of a door opening just the slight glint of light might feel like salvation. The light is inextricably connected with salvation. And the last one is that Jesus' light casts out fear. The, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? I want you to like take that on board just for a moment. Okay, if Jesus really is the Son of God, if he really is that ray of light from heaven coming and shining on us, if he really is the one that is bringing salvation, if he really is the one under whom every nation on earth has become a footstool for him, what do you have to fear? If you're living in a pit of fear, what is it that you have to fear at all if you are now bathed in this light, saved by the light? I wonder, for those of us who struggle with anxiety, if we can see Jesus' light actually melting away our fears. Having confidence, having courage in Jesus. Uh, now, here's the thing. Here's what I know. I know that 
you can hear things like this all day long, but there's still some wall that is like erected in our hearts that is keeping that truth from seriously doing the work of breaking down our fears and anxieties. And my prayer for you this morning is that that wall would crumble. And, and that you wouldn't really have anything to do with it, that God would just please himself by just like destroying that wall forever and letting your anxieties, all of the rebar that is like reinforcing that wall, all of those anxieties one by one just disintegrating. I hope that God does that work in your life today. In John chapter 8, verse 12, Jesus claims to be the light of the world. What does that mean? What does it mean for him to be the light of the world? Is, is he saying that he is the light from the world? Because that would be a different thing if it was like uh, Jesus was this worldly light bulb that flicked on all of a sudden. That would be one thing. But for a totally separate thing, for Jesus to be the light that came from heaven, it was something that it didn't come on in this world. It wasn't from this world. It was from somewhere else. It was from the Father. That is a totally different thing. And what I want to propose to you this morning is that when Jesus claims to be the light of the world, it means that he was sent into the world to light up the world. There is no longer a heavenly or prophetic or metaphorical light. Jesus has come into the world to light it up. He's here to light things up. You don't have to wonder, like, in the Old Testament, is this light going to be something that just, like, comes on inside of you? Or is it something that God does to actually reveal his kingdom, to eschew darkness, to send it away, to send it away forever, and to eventually to allow for his city of lights to descend onto earth and for there never to be darkness ever again. Man, that's the kind of light that I want. I don't want a worldly light. I want a heavenly light that has come to us. Not a metaphorical light, a Jesus kind of light. Second, Jesus knew that his light came into this world, but that it would be, a, it would be to light up the whole world. Okay, so I don't want for you to think about like the spotlight of Jesus just coming into like a singular place. It's not as though like Jesus' light came down to Jerusalem and then it just stayed there. I, you know, for all of us who live in Texas, we, we know something a little bit about light. We, we drive around on Friday nights and you can literally see the places of worship. You can see those stadiums. We even have like, you know, small TV series that are made about Friday night lights. And those lights are just there. The towns care about those lights, but the other towns, they don't care about those lights. Jesus came to the world to light up the whole world, not to just be a small place of worship, but to create a world of worship bathed in his forever light. It's not a worldly light. It's a light given to the world, to the whole world. Ultimately, God did not want the world to remain dim and dark for us, so he sent his son of light. Jesus is the light of the world. How do we know that Jesus didn't want you to remain in darkness? Well, he says so right here in this verse. Honestly, like, here's what's funny. With this single verse, 
I've got like this thing that's happening this morning where it's just like, uh, if, if this gets confusing, if it gets too unsimple, if it gets too muddled, it's like totally 100% on me. Because what Jesus does in this verse is he says, I am the light. If you follow me, you will not walk in darkness. It's pretty clear. And that's our second point. Jesus lights your path up. He says, whoever follows me will not. I want you to look, I, on the page, will not. Is there any uncertainty about what he's saying here? Is he saying, sometimes you won't walk in darkness? Is he saying, for a little bit of your life, you will light a, uh, you'll walk like a dimly kind of lit path? Or is he saying, if you follow me, you will not walk in darkness? Man, what an outrageous promise Jesus gives us. Jesus assumes that before you follow him, without following him, you're walking a pretty dark path. In fact, uh, Sawyer read earlier this idea about the pit. She read about the darkness that is there. If you go back there, you'll see uh, Elihu, that's the, uh, the friend of Job, the fourth friend, the better friend, that isn't these other three like super discouraging friends, actually painting a really dim view of the world and of what our experience of man is, but lighting a really bright path for what God can do with light. More on that just here in a second. What we see is, is that Job is in a really dark place. If you go back and read Job, he had lost everything. He had lost his family. He had lost his kids. Even his own wife was just saying, curse God and die already. I mean, who wants to live this kind of pit dark life? And when even your own wife is saying that to you, you got to think that there's like a little bit, just a little bit of like uh, desire to just be dead, to be done with it, to be gone. Elihu in Job chapter 33 says this, man's soul draws near to the pit and his life to those who bring death. Man, what a Christmas verse. I mean, just can you imagine saying something more discouraging? He's saying there is a darkness in the pit of your life. There are those who come into your life who bring death with them. Our souls draw near to this darkness and to friends who want to bring death. Thanks a lot, Elihu. But here's the truth. I think that we experience this. We today, not just Job way back when, not in the midst of like unimaginable loss, but in the midst of our lives today. In the midst of our lives today, we experience this. How often have you drifted into darkness? How often have you like struggled for years long with the same sin patterns? The, one that you, the ones that you hate, the ones that you wish that you were rid of, the ones that keep you in the deep darkness of that pit. How long have you done it? What Elihu is saying is, is that our souls are somehow, uh, uh, apart from the regenerating work of God, apart from this light, apart from salvation, it's like we just seek out the darkness. And, and, and when you say it out loud, you're just like, I don't do that. But when you really think about it, you go, no, I've got that in me. I, I know that day by day, apart from God's grace, I would eke off into this dark pit. Paul, Paul, I think, enunciates this in uh, the New Testament where he even just cries out. He just goes, the things that I want to do, I don't do. 
I never do them. The things, that righteousness that my soul, because of Jesus, like craves, I, I can't get there under my own power. But the things that I don't want to do, I do all the time. And it's just like, I don't want to do them, but I just, like a dog, return to the vomit of my sin. That, that, this isn't like a Job thing. This isn't like an Old Testament thing. This is a today thing. This is a you thing. We return. Our, uh, some part of our fleshliness wants to stay in the pit of darkness. And that's what Elihu is saying. But he's setting up something that is far grander, far better. And I want to ask you this. Do you lament your time in the pit? Do you feel the darkness during this season? I want to remind you of what John chapter 8 verse 12 says. Followers of Jesus will not remain in the darkness. They won't walk in the paths of darkness. Christian, listen to Jesus' words this morning. He says, I am the light. If you follow me, you will not walk in darkness. How can he make that claim when we constantly want to seem to seek out darkness? Here's the good news of the gospel. Here's the great news of the gospel. If there be for him an angel. Do you remember this statement in verse 23 back in Job? It says, if there be for him an angel, a mediator. Now, now remember, uh, <laughs> Elihu didn't know who Jesus was. This was written thou, like probably over a thousand years before Jesus. And he's saying, man, uh, the souls of men really want darkness. We crave darkness. We go to the darkness of the pit. If there could just be a mediator, if there could just be one, one person who comes down into the darkness of the pit who, who, who says and has redemption in his words to declare to man what is right for him and is merciful to him and says deliverance to him from going down into the pit for I have found a ransom. It, it says this in verse 28, if you want to go back to uh, that chapter in Job, it says, he has redeemed my soul from going down into the pit and my life shall look upon the light the light of life. There in Job, we get this dichotomy between the deep darkness of the pit and this unimaginable hope that there would one day be a mediator of light who comes into the pit, who rescues and redeems and pulls you out of the pit and lets you walk in paths of righteousness and light forever. Not just for a season of your life, but forever. Elihu is wanting, he's longing for this a uh, person to come and to be a mediator. And what Jesus says in John chapter 8, verse 12, is that he is the light, he is the mediator, he is the redeemer, and he is delivering us from the pit of darkness. You don't have to live in a pit anymore. What a grand promise it is that we have in the gospel. We have a mediator of light who brings the light of life to us. And what do you have to do? What is it that you have to do in order to receive this light? If you were just to base it on 
John chapter 8, verse 12. Do you get the idea that I kind of want you to like memorize this verse, to have it be something that is just a token that you slip in your pocket and you take with you everywhere? What is it, if you just had to base it on this verse, that you have to do in order not to walk in the darkness anymore? It, it, look at the verse and tell me what it is that you would have to do. It's very simple. Jesus says, anyone who would follow him, all you have to do is follow Jesus, and he'll lead you straight out of the pit of darkness. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, will not walk in darkness. The message here that Jesus has for us is follow me. I am the light bearer, follow me. If you follow Jesus, the light then, he will light up your path and you will not walk in the darkness. Jesus is the light. Jesus lights up your path. And the last little piece that I want to spend some time on here is this really interesting idea of the light-filled life. It, it says that uh, you won't walk in darkness anymore. And then what does the last part of that verse say? But we'll have the light of life. What is the light of life? We've seen it in Job. You can go and take a look at the light of life in uh, Psalm 56. I had to cut like an entire section out of this. There is this reoccurring theme, this uh, phrase that's used throughout scripture of the light of life. What is it? The message of Christmas is a message of light. What I want for us to get this morning is some message of confidence and courage this morning. For those of us who feel like we lack confidence or we're putting our confidence in the wrong things, for those of us who feel timid, intimidated, for those of us who feel uh, pushed aside, for those of us who feel marginalized, for those of us who just need a message to take us into a place of great courage, I think that there is a message of Christmas courage, of Christmas confidence for you in this phrase, light of life. Why? Because the final, uh, final point this morning is that the light-filled life is yours. The light-filled light is yours. Just as, Jesus, uh, just as God tells Moses in the midst of his doubt and uncertainty, tell them that I am has sent you. Jesus tells us, I am the light. Whoever follows me, skip just one phrase, will have will own, will possess, it will be theirs. The light of life is yours. That's what he's saying to you this morning. You want the confidence? You want the courage? Know and understand that Jesus is telling you that you have, as a follower of him, you have the light of life. If you follow Jesus, if you abide in Jesus, if you love Jesus, then you will have, you will own the light of life. You won't just walk not in darkness. You won't just walk in his light. His light will be your light. And no one can take it away from you. No one can snuff it out because it isn't a worldly light. It didn't come from the world. It came from heaven. So this heavenly light is yours in Jesus Christ. You possess it. You have it inside of you and no one can take it away from you. It doesn't matter what happens. It doesn't matter what trauma you face. It doesn't matter uh, who might have spoken against you. It doesn't matter what your relationship with your mom is. It doesn't matter. None of that stuff matters. God gives you his light and you have it forever. Man, what amazing and great news there is in this light. 
Jesus gives you an inextinguishable torch of his light. And he gives it to you so that you can go into the quest of this life and bear his light in all circumstances. I wonder if in this inextinguishable torch of Jesus' life, you can have confidence, you can have courage. You, you see, there are many promises in Scripture that so often get ripped out of context that honestly, we don't trust them anymore. That, 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 I mean, we just, we see John 3, 16, like, written on some banner at, like, a football game or on somebody's, like, you know, and we just go, I, I know that verse, like, it's so commonplace, I don't know. One of those verses talks about the strength that we can have. So on a morning where we're talking about confidence, where we're talking about courage, I want to talk a little bit about strength. In Job chapter 42, verse 2, uh, God has come to Job in the midst of all of his complaining. After Elihu has like reproved him and rebuked him in some ways, God comes and says, I'm God, you're not. Regardless of your circumstances, regardless of what you have done, I am God. Brace yourself like a man, and you will answer me. And he talks about these storehouses of hail. He talks about where lightning comes from. He asks Job, like, can you, like, bring out Leviathan? What's Leviathan? No idea what Leviathan is. But God knows. And you know what? He can draw them out. That's the craziest idea. I mean, I don't even know what that means. But that's how God, uh, like, just utterly powerful God is. And so he rebukes Job for being small-minded, to be, uh, for being, uh, you know, just self-righteous. And then in the midst of all of this, Job realizes he's really messed up. And you know what the first words that he says back to God is? I know you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. He understands that before he has anything, before he has any possessions, before he has anything that he can have confidence in, any strength in, that he's got to attribute to God total and complete sovereignty and power. He starts there. But if you go, if you jump into the New Testament and you go to one of these verses that I think has been so often misused that we like dismiss it, we put it on the side. If you go to Philippians 4, it says this, I have learned in whatever situation. Now remember, this is Paul saying this. He's been in prison. He's been beaten half to death, more than half to death. He's been carried off where he didn't want to go. He's been, you know, taken and lied about and tried and all of these things. This is what Paul is saying. I've learned that in whatever situation, I am to be content. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and placing hunger, abundance and need. For, for some of us, we're just like, what's the secret? Like, how can you have that kind of contentment? I, I can't quite afford the car that I want, and I'm like really sad about it. How can I just be content regardless of my circumstances? And Paul's like, you can't, the car? Like, I've been in prison. For 10 years, I was put in a place that I didn't even want to be, and I couldn't see the people that I'd minister. Okay, fine, 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 fine. Whatever your brand of, incontentment, uncontentment, discouragement, whatever it is, Paul is saying to us this morning, I have found the secret to it. I have found the secret in plenty and in want. And what is it? I can do all things. I can face any kind of situation, any kind of dark pit. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. 
Now, if I were to ask you to like raise your hand if you're already uncomfortable with like using this verse to talk about how we can have confidence and just encouragement. I mean, do you hear the word courage in the middle of encouragement? Have you ever even thought about the fact that when we like give people courage, we're like encouraging them? Like that's amazing. Some of us would raise our hands, right? We would just go, that verse is so out of context, out of place. Remember, we're talking about pits this morning. We're talking about those places in our lives where we just, we've been discouraged, we've been discontent. We've been disrupted in our identity in Jesus Christ. And what Paul is saying, I've got the secret. And in this secret, if you put your strength in him, you can do anything that he wills. You can do all of his holy will. Now, here, here's the problem. Here's why we have so taken that verse out of context. is because Jesus doesn't care what you squat. He doesn't care. If you're in the gym, which clearly I'm not, and you're like, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, Jesus doesn't care at all what you can squat. I am convinced of this. Stop misusing the verse, but if you want to reclaim the verse, take a look at who is strengthening you. Then think about what it is that is his will, not your squat average, not any of these things, and just go, I can do anything that God is calling me to do. So if, if, if we can have that kind of contentment, whatever situation if we can learn the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need and reacting by just going, I can do it all. If all I'm doing is putting my trust and my hope and my strength in the one who is a light, then you can do all his holy will. Do you want to feel invincible this like incarnation season? Do you want to feel as if you can do anything? What you need to do is place your trust and your confidence in the one who has all strength, all power for every situation. And then whether you face a season of want or whether you have an abundance, you have all the strength in the world because it wasn't placed in whatever you wanted. It's placed in the one who can give you all things. I think that one of the reasons that this Christian generation is so fragile and unresilient adrift, is weak, is that we haven't been bolstered by the fact that Jesus is the light. Whose light is he? He's our light. I want you to look back at this verse, verse 12, and look at the word have. If you follow Jesus, you have the light of life. I'm going to say it again. If you follow Jesus, you have the light of life. Jesus says again, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. That's the promise that the most powerful man who has ever lived is making you this Christmas season. Are you in a dark pit? The light-filled life is yours to live. You can live it. 
You can own it. You can possess it. You just have to place your faith in Jesus Christ. You have to have confidence. You have to have courage, not in yourself, but in Jesus. Christian, do not be strengthened by your own resolve. For those of you who are trying to earn it, trying to fake it till you make it, trying to sit in the pit and just think that that's going to make things better, I want you to hear this morning, do not have confidence in your own strength or resolve, but be illuminated by the light of the world. For if you follow Jesus, whatever dark valley of death, whatever pit you walk through, whatever situation you face, Jesus will give you the light of life. Let's pray for it. God and Father, your son came and told us that he was the light and we believe it. God and Father, your son, Jesus Christ, came and said that whoever followed him would not walk in darkness. Father, we believe it. Father, your son, Jesus Christ, came into this world, the light of the world. He lit it up. He illuminated it. One day he will take us into a forever city of light. We believe it. Lord, would you allow for us this season and really just for the rest of our lives to walk in the light of life? We have eternal light, eternal life. We have it shining and abundant. You shine your face of light on us. What magnificent truths you have spoken over us. These immense promises, Lord, help us to believe it. And Father, I'll go one step further this morning. I pray that you would allow us to experience it because Father, honestly, you say a lot of things in your word that we don't often experience. And we know, we know that it is uh, our little faith. We know that it is not uh, believing the promises that you have said in the right context. But Father, we want to do all things. We want to be invincible. We want to hide ourselves in your will we want to be in your place such that Christ will strengthen us to do all of your holy will. Father, I pray that this body, over this incarnation celebration season, Lord, that we would be the light of life to the city around us. Lord, that it wouldn't be filled with uh, fake tinsel and smiles, Lord, but there would be an abiding and deep joy knowing that Jesus Jesus alone is the light of the world, and he gives us his light. Lord, would you help us to feel as more than conquerors this morning? Would you help us to take communion with total confidence? Would you help us to be sacrificial givers this morning in total confidence of the strength that we are provided in Jesus? Will we sing aloud this morning knowing that we have total confidence in the provision of the light of Christ, and will we be illuminated? just to celebrate during this season. Lord, we love you. We thank you so much for the good gift of the light of Jesus. We ask you that he would be our treasured possession. Lord, that we would be enamored by and focused on him during this season. Lord, I pray for those of us who are in the midst of dark pits. Would you bring us out of them? Lord, would you help us to see that we are already out of them in Jesus Christ? Lord, these are big things to pray. And so we just put our total confidence, our total courage in you and your plan for us. Lord, we love you again. And we just pray that you would do and accomplish all of these things 
in Jesus Christ, the church of the Christ. Amen.